Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And let's see what kind of laughs Duff McKagan delivers today with the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Uh, I'm walking my dog on a, uh, you know, Monday night. Uh, just a thought here. You know, uh, Lance, the name Lance is not very common these days. You ever think of that? But back in medieval times, they used Lance a lot. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Uh, yeah, that's not bad. <laughs> but thanks to Duff. I appreciate the laughs every single Friday without fail. And if it's more laughs you're looking for, and I know a lot of you still in lockdown because of the virus, you could probably use a few laughs these days. You need to check out the Winnipeggers. New episodes come out every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. We dropped a new show last night all about our worst gigs ever. Me and Ribo and Dave talk about our uh, some of the not-so-stellar gigs our bands have played over the years. Some great stories in there, lots of laughs and some drinks, and we always have a good time. Check it out now on Facebook and YouTube. All right, now I've got Diamond Dallas Page, Hurricane Helms, and AEW's live events manager, Raphael Morphy, joining me to remember the late Chris Canyon. Raphael was a childhood friend of Canyon's. They grew up together, and Dallas and, and Shane were great friends of Canyon's at WCW and in the business in general. Chris Canyon was a gay wrestler, in a time in the business when that wasn't as accepted as it is now. Uh, he really struggled with his sexuality and how he thought that impacted his wrestling career. And Canyon also suffered from bipolar disorder. So Dallas, Shane Helms, and Raphael talk about how all of that likely contributed to Canyon's suicide in 2010. We talk a lot about Canyon's run in WCW and WWE and what options and things uh, might have been like for him today if he'd been able to defeat his demons and stay alive and still being in the wrestling business. So the guys share some of their favorite stories and memories about Chris he was a great wrestler, great worker, helped a lot of younger guys in the business, a very good friend of mine in the 90s. Today, it's the life and legacy of Chris Canyon right here on Talk is Jericho. So a few weeks ago, I did a podcast with Sunny Kiss and talked a lot about her sexuality and just how far the business has changed over the last decade or so. And it reminded me of our old friend Chris Canyon and kind of the trials and tribulations he's had. And I mentioned it to Raphael, and he suggested we do a kind of a tribute podcast. So we got Hurricane here, and DDP, and then Raphael Morphy, who's kind of the, the head of live events in AEW. But I guess just to kind of start it off, I, I feel now in 2020 that, that Chris Canyon, 
was a pioneer in many ways and also too very very underrated uh, when people think about great workers from that time frame do you agree with that page man absolutely yeah he was such a natural and what people really don't know like what we all give up to follow that dream he really gave up a lot because he was a physical therapist you know at the time when we're talking about the uh, 90s he could make 50, 60 plus thousand dollars a year as a physical therapist. And he left that dream and went to his real dream, which was being a wrestler for you know, 25 bucks a night in Memphis. And <laughs> by, the time, by the time he got to WCW, he was just really, he was, he was a student of the game. I think we all know that. I mean, like he, he was really, really smooth, but didn't look like it was set up. It still looked real. Mm -hmm. How about you, Hurricane? Do you feel the same? Oh, definitely. 100%. I think he's one of the most, I mean, not only underrated, you know, and that word's thrown around quite frequently for people, but undercredited. You know, mm. a lot of people just don't realize how many people he helped, how many careers he touched. You know, I mean, he helped so many people. If it wasn't for Chris Canyon, you know, we might, I might not even be on this phone call right now. He was so instrumental in getting me hired in uh, WCW. Uh, more instrumental than anybody. Chris Canyon was the guy that I went through to get hired. Uh, he talked to Bischoff for me. And so uh, when I actually did get hired, it was Chris Canyon that told me. So he's the one that he's the one that kind of brought your name up to Eric in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there was a project to bring in American cruiserweights uh, and myself, AJ, Shannon Moore and like Kidman. 10 or 12 other guys all came in. Jimmy Yang. Jimmy Yang. Yang. Yeah. Jimmy Yang, uh, Jamie Noble. I mean, a good cast of crew. AJ Styles, I think was uh, among those names. This was the first of the actual smaller than the uh, junior heavyweights. Hmm. And Ray Mysterio, of course, really blew that door open. But uh, Bishop had this idea to, he was going to do a touring reality show with all of these cats. <laughs> Jimmy Yang came to my house. He lived in my same area. On Halloween, they were dressed up like Hulk and Sting. And maybe it was not. In 97, and these guys kept coming by my house, and they see me putting up <laughs> Christmas lights. I, they're like, hey, DDP. I'm like, hey, guys. Oh, good to see you again. Go grab Santa Claus. Go grab the reindeer. <laughs> but it was a really great group of people that, that Chris really put together for this team that never really got seen. But a lot of those guys got shots. Because mm -hmm. of Chris, yeah, he he even let he would let us stay at his house. Like he had this big house with you know a bunch of extra rooms. So he's like, hey, uh, when you guys come down to the power plant, stay at my house. You can stay, uh, you know, stay here. I mean, he just was like so generous with everything. We used to call it Club Canyon. Club, Club Canyon, Canyon, yeah, <laughs> with two Ks. <laughs> now, now, Ralph, you actually go wait. Way back with with Chris, you grew up with 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 Chris Canyon uh, in New York. Is that correct? That's correct. We, you know, I I met Chris uh, back in 1977, in um, you know, in grammar school. Yeah, you know, I met Chris back in 1977. Wow. And it, you know, we grew up in an area called uh, uh, Sunnyside Queens, uh, right mm. outside of New York City. And a big influence for us was um, the Sunnyside Gardens, which was a uh, venue, big wrestling venue. I, I think uh, all of us in the neighborhood got exposed to uh, to wrestling then. And I I knew Chris had the opportunity to. Uh, you know, go to grammar school with him, went to high school with Chris and it ended up working with him in this, uh, in this great business that we're in. Um, and, you know, as everyone says here, uh, 
you know, Chris was a big influence on a lot of people in our industry. Uh, the names uh, mentioned, the Kidmans of the world, the Nobles of the world, and even to this day. I mean, the, the Young Bucks, uh, Brian Cage, Sight uh, Chris is a big influence in their careers. Were you guys wrestling fans back then? Big time. Uh, yeah, because yeah, because we grew up in, in Sunnyside, blue collar area outside of New York, uh, in Queens. Um, back then, um, it, it was still re- regional wrestling, where uh, you know Vince uh, and the WWE, that WWF at that time, still had the Northeast market. So all the storylines will cul- would culminate at MSG on Monday nights once a month, and the whole neighborhood would get together in pockets and groups to, to go to that. And Chris always led that charge with, with the guys in the neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, he, yeah, he was a fan from the very start. Uh, we had a youth center back in the day where at first he'd be this uh, unusual guy in the corner doing flips. And, and before you knew it, w- within three or four weeks, 50, 60 people were, <laughs> were watching his, his wrestling matches with his friends. And all of us had to participate, take the moves, take suplexes, have fun. And so he, he was a fan from the very start. Big horseman fan. Well, you know, it, always before it's it's funny too because thinking back, such a a friendly, great guy, and he was one of the few guys in WCW. And and Paige will know what I'm talking about here. There was kind of almost two clicks, if have you say it, but there was top guys, and then there was kind of our group of guys, and there wasn't a lot of intermixing. I mean, Paige always intermixed, but you know what I'm talking about when you talk about Hall and Nash and those type of guys. And and we used to call Canyon. He was one of your gang. He was FOP. Friend of Page, <laughs> that could really help you. Yeah, help you. <laughs> yeah. But he will. Also, he could also hang out with you know me and Benoit and Eddie and 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 you know all those type of guys as well. So he, he was a real kind of a, of a get along guy, no doubt. That everyone related to and like. He was like that yeah. from the very start, Chris, as a young man. Yeah, that was a lack of arrogance. You know, when you when you're just that really kind of a humble person, you want to get along with everybody. I mean, Chris was one of those people, you know, he didn't need to be in this little small clique, mm-hmm. uh, you know, top guys. It didn't matter if he was on the top of the card or not. He still would have been that guy that would have talked to everybody, you know, and, and Paige is one of those guys too. You know, and, and it's Raphael, not so much. <laughs> it's funny too, though, because, you know, we, we mentioned Chris's sexuality at the beginning, the fact that he was gay. And in this day and age, nobody would, say a word nobody would care nobody even blink twice but even back 25 years ago 20 years ago it wasn't really in vogue to say that or whatever and and chris certainly never did but we we still kind of almost knew it like we used to hang out for those uh uh, tapings that we used to do at at disney mgm studios worldwide and there'd be we'd be there for two weeks straight you'd be hanging out and going to clubs and downtown disney and chris was always hanging out but he never was with a girl. And after a while, we were like, I wonder if he's gay. But no one ever asked him. And he never said anything. Did you guys ever think about that? Did you know he was gay, Paige, for example? God, dude. It was, I'll give you – when I told Kimberly, who's still one of my best friends, when I told Kimberly, you know, Chris Canyon came out. And she went, what? I said, yeah. She goes, wow. I consider myself that pretty good gaydar. And – I never picked up on that at all. <laughs> right. I, I mean, I can't tell you how many beers Chris and I drank that I'd never, because he was, he's a regular dude. And that's what people don't understand. Like someone like Sonny is a different animal. You know what I mean? Right. He was a, he's a dude. He yeah. was a guy like guys, but I never even really picked up on it. You could say the same thing about disco, but I never really thought about disco like that either. I just thought like, 
You know, they 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 love what they're doing so much. They're preoccupied, kind of like asexual. Is if I would have put anything on it, and maybe mm. in a strip club occasionally, I would think he's in here with a bunch of bras and he is talking to women. So I don't give a, f- you know, right, I, right. I'm one of those guys that never gave a f- about that. But when he came out, we were doing a match for Jimmy Hart, who was doing in Florida in Orlando. He was doing a pay-per-view thing. You know, have, some of the boys have tried to get the pay-per-view and get all the guys in. Jake was here. A bunch of the boys were there. And me and Chris were like a co-main event or something like that. I can't remember where we were in the car, but I know it was one of my first matches coming back. And if I was going to work with anybody, I'm working with Canyon because he's going to make me look great for one thing. And we just had a great dance step together, me and him. And... We went to breakfast that morning, and he said, listen, I want to let you know what I want to do today, but I, I'm not sure I'm going to do it, but I really feel like I, this is the day I got to do it. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, I want to come out. Are you going to come out? He goes, yeah. I go, do it. And he just like looked at me like, he was expecting me to go, really? What do you mean you're mad? I was like, yeah, I got a buddy I grew up with my entire life. And I've said one of the reasons why he has so many issues mentally, it's like, dude, just come out of the closet. Right. His mother said it to him. We've said it to him. Like all his buddies, like, we don't give a f-. Like we're all boys. And I'm not gay. He's like, Canyon on the other he went the other way with it. And then I think it kind of shocked him that no one really it's not so much didn't give a f-, but it wasn't any big deal. Like, okay. People who really know him, you know, it wasn't. It seemed like it tortured him when, when reading his book after he passed away. Just how how hard it was for him, and that's why it's like I, mean, I wish I wish we would have been able to kind of helped him kind of resolve that earlier in his life. Were you close with with Chris when he passed away, Raph? I mean, obviously, did you know he was gay pre to him coming out, and were you still close with him when he passed away? Definitely close with him, uh, and he, he shared that he was uh, he, he was gay, um, and this is after he, he left WWE. Still close with him. Uh, growing up, we, you know, we speculated, but um, you know, Paige brings up a good point, uh, a, a good category. We he was more asexual. Chris loved wrestling. Chris was. He, he was a showman and that was what he was all about. He was about hanging out with his friends, being loyal to his friends. And the fact he was never with a, a woman in front of us may have been a fleeting thought, but it wasn't a prevailing thought by, by any degree. And I, and I also think mm-hmm. he may have been seeking uh, when he did come out a little more comfort or, or more of a shock value than all of us, myself included, when we told him, okay, it's cool, Chris, uh, you're gay and I still love you. So I don't know, uh, you know, he, he he struggled with it, and then he maybe he was looking for a, a little more feedback in that regard. I think about that sometimes, uh, but it was a struggle. And you know, th- there's another side of it too that you know, there's a not only sexuality, but there was a mental health issue with, with Chris too, which we'll get into. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk a little bit more about about his 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 work hey, rate. Can yeah, I go ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. I think a part of this too. I, I never looked at it as asexual. What. What I think a part of it was, and you guys uh, might identify with this, any gay person we've ever seen on TV always was the feminine side. It was the flamboyant, all that. Right. You know, never really on television or cinema do you see the homosexual that is, you know, the masculine side. And that exists a lot. So Chris was just more of the masculine side 
of a homosexual. And that's what that was. You know, it wasn't uh, Adrian Street or Adrian right. Adonis or any of that type of stuff, right. you know, to throw in a pro wrestling name. So, I mean, he, he was just a dude, but I've, I've met gay people like that since then. You know, since then, I've been introduced to, a, a you know, more gay people than before, Chris. And I think, too, there was a weird part of him that was disappointed that so many of us had figured it out. I think yeah. he thought he had kept it a good secret, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's like, because, like, you know, when he said, when he came up to me, he's like, yeah, I kind of, you know, I kind of knew. And he's like, really? You know, I think he was upset that we figured it out. You know, he he was uh, upset that the kayfabe didn't work. But um, you know, it, it's it's interesting too because he he was in that in that one foot in the past, one foot in the future. Where you were like we said earlier, to, to come out was something that maybe he was afraid of. I was just reading Rob Halford's book, and and Rob was gay from the you know from the day he was born, but hid it because he didn't want Judas Priest the band to suffer. Because in the eighties, if if the if the singer of this heavy metal band was was you know, ousted as a gay man, he was afraid that that would hurt the credibility of the band. And I'm wondering if Chris was kind of in that, like it might hurt my credibility as a wrestler if people know that I'm gay in the 90s because it wasn't, um, you know, as as prevalent or as talked about as it is now. Once again, now, in this day and age, say it, you do it, who, gives, yeah. who cares either way, you know? And it might have. It really might. He might not be incorrect in thinking that it might have hurt him. There might have been people that yeah, you're right differently and treated him differently. He's, you know, that that's a big concern. You know, I mean, and Chris was a Catholic to the best of my knowledge, not really practicing. But when you grow up in a religion that thinks you're going to go to hell just for being who, just for he being was, who he you was. are. Yeah, he was Roman Catholic. Yeah, so that that creates a whole new kind of trauma that you kind of have to deal with all your life. That, you know. You talk about uh, we have heterosexual privilege. <laughs> you know, right, right. compared to white privilege, we don't have to deal with that trauma of people telling us we're going to go to hell constantly for you know just loving who you love. So there's all kinds of trauma that was associated back then. A lot of it still exists, uh, and just you know we've made some good steps as a society, but there's still a long way to go. Go ahead, Raf. You know, we did grow up in a Roman Catholic uh, area, and he did go to uh, Catholic school, so that had something to do with it. But your point, Chris, about um, maybe it, it affecting his career. Definitely. Uh, I, I think, uh, w was an issue in Chris's mind. I, and I think it's something that he illustrated in, in his book that, uh, that, that was part of the struggle also. When we're talking about Chris's career, I say this with, with the utmost respect and appreciation. I feel that Chris really overachieved, uh, in the business. I, I think he went way further than anybody expected him to with the exception of himself i remember when he was uh what was it called men at yeah. work is that the name of the team yeah. that he was in <laughs> and and he would say that I, I had to go around measuring things for no apparent reason it's, it's two feet it's three feet but then suddenly you know he, he was able to adapt and he becomes you know mortis and then he's champagne chris canyon cck and then he's part of the jersey triad it's almost like he willed himself into being a top guy and then once he got that confidence, it took him to the next level. Do, do you feel that, Paige? Now, one of the things with Chris was finding out who Chris was. I can't tell you how many characters I tried to get him to feel comfortable with down at the power plant. And because he had that lisp, too. Right. And he was very aware of that when you have it. Like someone like Dusty got it over like crazy. Right. <laughs> you know, but other guys who have it. You know, they really, they, they struggled with that. Um, I felt like um, they, they thought they really had something because I was the one who put together Bischoff's idea and he gave me it as a project 
the the, the Mortal Kombat guys. Mm. I helped. I got Ray in that position. Chris got Mortis, so we can completely cover up, and then we'll come out later and you know demask you, and you'll be gone for a long time. And then you know Brian and, uh, and Bischoff brought Ernest in, and uh, going through that process, that was a really positive time for him. Like everybody was so pumped, and then they put that that uh, that thing that trailer out there for Glacier the cartoon and bring in Mortal Kombat through a lawsuit on him. Like, nice try. Not happening. <laughs> All the, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. They were like, we just, come on, please get us out there. And right when it was like two weeks out, you guys are coming, NWO showed up. Oh. And Jen was like, Bruce shit in the air, he goes, there goes our push. NWO ate up everything as we know. But that was such a cool gimmick, though, Mortis, that that mask was so good. He really, really embraced that. I mean, it just looked great. The entrance is great. Like you said, when he put that on, it was almost like putting on kiss makeup or something. He could be somebody else. And that's when the the true character and and charisma shone through. Yeah, it was like, you know, it's like being, it's like Halloween. Mm -hmm. Be somebody else. And he got to be that character that, and I, I think of all the characters you've ever seen with a mask on, and there's been some great ones. You know, but that one was about as cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and just to touch on what Paige said about Chris's list, I used to have a lot of conversations with him about wrestling and about a whole bunch of different things. And he was really self-conscious about the lisp. I remember him saying, I'm really scared to do promos because I'm scared how people are going to react. And I, I said the same thing that you said, Paige. I said, really? You're nervous about having a lisp? Ever heard of Dusty Rhodes? Hmm? Ever heard of that guy? pretty good at promos you know it's just you just have to embrace it and and he eventually did because he also had a real goofy side to him as well for 25 years nothing has tasted better after a hard day's work than a mike's hard lemonade it's because since day one mike's has been making lemonade the hard way we use three kinds of lemons all hand-picked from family farms then blended to perfection in cold press to create the epic hard lemonade you know and love. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. All right, Dallas, you wanted to say something else about Canyon as a worker and as an in-ring performer? Take it away, DDP. Just look at his finish. And I, you know, let's go back 20 years. That shooting star... I've never seen that before. And I'm sure it had been happening in Japan somewhere, but I'd never seen it. I grabbed that tape. I walked down the street. Bischoff was watching a TV show. I sat down on the commercial. I got up. I pushed the tape into the thing. I said, just check this kid's finish out. And he went, wow, what's he doing? I said, looking for a job. And Bischoff gave him 400 a week. And on the, uh, the plan where you learn how to wrestle while you're there. But that kid could already go. And that was all Chris. 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 Yeah, he used to call Canyon Monkey. <laughs> how you doing, Monkey? Uh, Shane, when you're talking about uh, Chris's goofy side, uh, you got any examples of that? Dude, so many. I, I mean, there were so many times. I'm telling you, the last thing I, I remember him really going crazy about laughing with me. Is you know he was this is when he had came out and he was really getting more comfortable talking about it, 
And I thought about something too earlier when Raphael was talking about them being from Queens. Once he got once he got comfortable joking about it, there would be these Queens being from Queens jokes all the time coming from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't really mention it, but I remember him laughing about that. But I remember uh, I came up with this idea that he he called his fans the cult of Chris Canyon. Mm-hmm. Can you guys make out what that's called? <laughs> C O C K. And so anybody that would hate him, he would call them cocksuckers. <laughs> and he was just going crazy about that. And he was going to make sure it's, and that was one of his high moments, you know, because, uh, you know, uh, another thing um, amongst the homosexuality uh, that he was struggling with, of course, was the, the bipolar thing. And, and being depressive. So when he was on those highs, that's when you would get the Goofy Canyon. And it was just, everything was funny and hilarious. But then uh, whether it was uh, not taking the medication or just maybe the struggles with bipolar, which I fully, you know, I'm not educated on, but um, I know it's rough. You know, then you could tell him the funniest thing in the world and he wouldn't give a shit. He would just be so deep into that. But I mean, he was just a constantly funny guy when he was in those good moods. I know at one time at Club Canyon, uh, he had James Mitchell there, Vandenberg, and they had this girl dressed up in a Waffle House waitress uh, outfit, and she served us breakfast. <laughs> and that was and the whole thing was just to make us laugh when she came out in that Waffle House waitress <laughs> outfit, and it worked. <laughs> it was just crazy shit all the time. Who Canyon used to call Vanden Balls? Vanden Balls. Yeah. <laughs> Vandenberg was the uh, he. He was kind of the uh, punching bag for the gang. And he, uh, you want me to tell the, are you wearing Ponce story? Yeah. Tell the Ponce story first. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this involved Vanden Balls. So Vanden Balls, uh, for the listeners that don't know, James Mitchell Vandenberg is this excellent karaoke singer and excellent is underscoring. And he's yeah. fabulous, <laughs> you know, fabulous. It, it blew my mind how good he was going to be. First time we went karaoke, Kane is like, he's going to get all of them. And I was like, he ain't going to get more ladies than me. I mean, I'm facing on appearance. I'm young Sugar Shane. I'm going to go in there and get more ladies than Jim Mitchell. That shit did not happen. He swooned them all. I got nothing. I left the ground. <laughs> <laughs> how pretty you were back then yeah. and how pretty he wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He looks well, like me now. Um, and so anyway, uh, they were rooming together back in the day. And uh, I guess Canyon, this is when he had his therapist job. And Vanden, Vanden Balls came in late one night, drunken from the karaoke bar, and was in there being loud as shit. Uh, and he was sleeping on Canyon's couch. And he's in there singing or, or playing the tape. They, had the, they would give you the cassette tapes uh, from your karaoke adventures, whatever you did. So he's in there playing the cassette tape loud as hell. Canyon goes in there, and he's just just yelling at him. He's just like, man, you know, just stop this shit. And Vanden okay, okay. Chris goes back to sleep, uh, tries to go back to sleep. Vandenberg, you know, of course, being drunk, starts playing that loud music again. And Chris gets mad and he goes, he runs in there and he slams, he punches the, uh, not jukebox, what are this damn thing, boom box. He slams it <laughs> and he's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> One more incident out of you, anything, and you're out of here. And then he looks at him and like Vandenberg was, uh, <laughs> So he goes back, <laughs> and then like maybe ten minutes later, there's a little rap at his door, you know, like the Edgar Allan Poe point. Somebody rapping at his chamber door, and he's like, "What is it?" And Vandenberg comes in and goes, "Chris, you gotta listen to this." And Chris is still mad. He's still in that anger zone. 
and Vandenberg plays the cassette. Apparently, when Chris punched the boombox, it hit record. <laughs> he hit it so hard that it recorded over the karaoke song, so you could hear his whole this whole diatribe. You know, and it's Vandenberg in there singing now I've had the time, whatever the fuck it was, and then <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we used to go out, like we said, in uh, <laughs> in downtown Disney during the, the, the Worldwide tapings. And I say, if you were a fan of Worldwide and watched it, you saw 90% of the guys that were on that show were either still drunk or really badly hungover. Because you would, <laughs> you would stay out until, this is the advent of ecstasy, so you'd be up until 6, 7 in the morning, what have you. Um, so we the one night we came back to, to we used to stay at... Um, a resort in Kissimmee, Florida. And there was a bar there called Pineapple Pete's. And that's where the guy Pineapple Pete came from, was from that bar uh, name. And we came back and it was kind of, everyone stayed in like, they were, they were uh, like, like, a mo- like a motel where the door leads to the outside. So we come back and B- Vandenberg hadn't gone out with us that night. And when Chris went into his room, Vandenberg was in there pleasuring a, uh, let's say a, a, a portly young lady she was she was corn fed healthy wearing uh the mortis mask (laughs) (laughs) she was a vandenberg was vandenberg was wearing the mortis mask banging this this big girl and he was filming it (laughs) and candy walked in there and it's like you said you mother you're banging this you're banging this chick wearing my mask and he's chasing him around and Vandenberg goes out into the into the parking lot he's running around with his little little ass running around with his mask <laughs> he did not have a little ass yeah he was he was he was pretty portly himself and he was like what's wrong what, what do you mean man what's wrong <laughs> and then another time when we were in the midwest somewhere Vandenberg Vandenballs this Vandenballs he's pissing me off so he had the, they were sharing a room. So he, he, he grabs the room key and he had three big hotel waste baskets that he filled with snow <laughs> and he opened the door and went inside and poured this bucket of snow on Vandenberg, of course, is sleeping naked. And once again, Vandenberg gets up and it was kind of a nice place. We had like a fireplace or a faux fireplace with a, with a poker, like, uh, and he's chasing Canada and swinging this poker once again, with his ass. <laughs> I'm like, what is it with this guy? Are you wearing pants? <laughs> uh good uh good times <laughs> but yeah that chris was very playful in that regard though he was he was like a seriously funny goofy guy like to have fun yeah, yeah he sure did absolutely and um you know let's talk a little bit about his uh experiences in, in wwe because you guys were, were were tag team champions there page for for a short period of time how, how was the experience there with him? Because I remember he got a little bit of a, of a push, like everybody did. And then once again, they just kind of took it away from him. I, I, at first, I was really happy for him because he had gotten the Don from from Undertaker. Right? Undertaker really liked him. Really? Yeah. And, and that's what he said to me. He said, like, God, Taker pulled me aside. He really likes what I'm doing and everything. And next thing you know, he was a tag champ. And the U.S. champ. Hmm. I think or Intercontinental. I think it was U.S. Really? Do it? A double title? Yeah, right, right. US. I mean, yeah, U.S. U.S. title. Yeah, U.S. title. And I thought, wow, they're really going to do something with him. And then, like everything, like I, it's still today, you know, you see some guy getting pushed to the moon, and then 
he's he's doing jobs one after another. I never understood that psychology, but uh, I know he was super. You know, I didn't know Chris had the bipolar thing till really after, you know, and I think him finding that out was really detrimental to him because what I've, I deal with a lot of mental illness, you know, when I'm dealing with people and helping them change their lives, it's all about, you know, this six inch piece of real estate here. So I've done a lot, work with a lot of people. And I know there are certain people that fight it and, and work to try to have a, the best attitude they can have and other people embrace it. And I really felt like Chris was just embracing like now I know why I went down and I felt like there were times I talked to him right on up till he killed himself. Like there was a point in time where I was just waiting for the phone call, you know, that Chris had killed himself. Yes. I remember the last time and I knew it was really close because I mean, he wasn't going out. He wasn't leaving his room, you know, and he tried twice and wasn't successful. That's what he told me. And then not too much farther after that, you know, because mental illness is 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 a re- is a real thing, and uh, I think we all know that now. But I also know that there's putting yourself around those five people that you're going to hang out with. If you put yourself in a room with no one and death and destruction, you're just setting yourself up to fail. And uh, you know, it was, uh, it was going from the high, again, to being a dual champion to, you know, to getting knocked on your ass. And I, for some reason, wasn't watching, I guess, when they did that Boy George thing. Let's talk about that, yeah. You know, I, I never saw it. I actually heard about it later. And, uh, you know, that was kind of weird to me. I didn't understand. You know. So were you there at the time, Shane, when they did that, the Boy George thing? Yeah. T- tell us about kind of what happened with that, because I-, I wasn't working there at the time either. Uh, Chris was on board for it. You know, I don't know if it came out exactly the way he envisioned it. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it didn't. And I mean, I, that was going to be a way for him to take a baby step toward coming out, I think, in, in, a, in the public eye. Well, let, let's let's explain exactly what it was. Tell, tell, tell Talk about the segment. I've, I've really tried hard to forget it, to be honest with you. It's something he came out of a box, like a big, a big gift box or some shit, like the, like the gobbledygook type thing. He was a surprise from Heyman to the Undertaker. Yeah, and and then uh, just kind of got beat up and correct. There wasn't really a lot done with it after that, other you know th- that I recall. He came out and saying, "Do you really want to hurt me?" Kind of with a Boy George costume on type of a thing, right? Yeah, and I, like I said, I think that was just kind of a. Hey, let's let's throw an Easter egg out there. So when I do come out, people go, "Oh, should you know maybe?" Right. But um, you know, and it was too. It was a. Uh, I don't think it was well thought out at all. You know, and it, it just wasn't good. I mean, that's that's what we can say, man. It wasn't good. Did you ever talk to him about that, Rath? No, I I didn't. He was he was released shortly after that, and um, he uh, you know, he he was a double champion back in two thousand one. He blew out his knee in a match against Randy Orton. Uh, tried to come back uh, and then got hurt again um, in Ohio uh, in a match. And he got a staph infection uh, where he almost died. Uh, that was in 2002. I know he tr- almost tried to kill himself. And shortly after that, uh, he wrote that in his book. Um, and then I think this was in two, 2004 or so. And then uh, they did the angle. 
He did some matches in the preliminary show. I think at that time it was Velocity, and then uh, he was gone. He, he was he was released. So you know he he went from double champion, getting hurt, trying to come back, having a brush with death physically, then mentally, you know, with, with a suicide attempt, and then um, you know being released. So it you know it, it all uh, came in in one shot for him in terms of that angle being released. Yeah. Uh, I, I remember when he first came in, he was doing the Who Better Than Canyon. And uh, it, I know Brian Gewurz loved it because I, did, I had a match with him once and, and the promo was like, you know, Who Better Than Canyon? I'll tell you who's better yeah. than Canyon. And I kind of went to the crowd and we had some plant like, my name is George S. Yeah. Johnson and I'm better than Canyon. I'm Art the Peanut Seller. I'm better than Canyon. And Gewurz just loved that so much. And it was kind of a fun little thing, but like Paige said, once again, it worked. It got over. We had a good match, and then that was that was the end of it. Move on to the next thing. But when we're yeah, talking so, about sometimes, sometimes in WWE, as you well know, when people get hurt, when they come back, they want them to be something different, right? And in that particular instance, I don't think they had gotten all of the mileage out of Chris and at the Who Better thing. That I don't think it was a different thing was needed just yet, but they did, you know. As, as we all know in there, you know, you can't really understand some, some of the decisions made, but they never got the f- full mileage out of uh, Chris Canyon as himself to even change it up, much less something, you know, that drastic. For 25 years, Mike's has been making lemonade the hard way. Mike's Hard Lemonade. Hard days deserve a hard lemonade. Mike's is hard. So is prison. Don't drive drunk. Premium all beverage with flavors. All registered trademarks used under license by Mike's Hard Lemonade Company, Chicago, Illinois. Let's talk about um uh you said that taker was a big fan of canyon what was the reasons for that because i, I mean from just from a size standpoint chris was deceptively tall he was probably almost as tall as you are page six three six yeah. four something like that yeah he, he was a solid six three yeah big and yeah. you know 245 so it's it, it's from, from a size standpoint that's a viable you know uh, uh, opponent for taker what was it that that mark liked about him so much do you guys know i, I just know he liked his work you know gotcha. and, at least that's what Chris. I never heard Mark say it, but I, that's what Chris was. You know, like Chris is never going to be the kind of guy, you know, to blow himself. No pun intended. He ain't going to put his shit over unless it's real, right? You know, he, he would. That was very, you know, big deal to him. And uh, it, it really, like, wow, Taker, you know, really thinks you know he pulled me aside and just talked about his work. For starters, the cat, you know, could work with Ray Mysterio or. The big show. Yeah. And, you know, believable all the way through it. And as we all know, that's the secret, being believable. And uh, Chris's work was, he was, they call him the innovator of offense. And he was. Like today, I'm blown away by how many new things these kids keep coming up with. Yeah. They're mind-boggling. Now, each one's more depth-defying than the other, but they keep coming up with new shit, which I would have thought was done a while ago, but it keeps coming. But Canyon was really one of those guys. Like he picked me up one time and we were doing a deal where I had to do that face bump, like from like, I can't remember how it was reverse power slam. And yeah. I would never <laughs> do that with anybody. At four, I'm in my, you know, my whole run was in my forties. So to bend that going back. <laughs> and I did it for him and I regretted it. He didn't hurt me, but it hurt like a son of a bitch. <laughs> you know? But he, you know, he was he was he was a lot of fun. Of all the guys, when people ask me like who my favorite people to work with, like he's on that list because 
I had so much fun being out there with him. Yeah, he like I said, he and I had some really, really good talks uh, about the business. And he actually he used to call me A.O. Jericho. Always opinionated. <laughs> he, he nailed that one. <laughs> did, he did to this day. AO, and, and back then, being always opinionated wasn't the smartest way to be in WCW, but always opinionated. But I remember he gave me some advice that he said, whenever you pick someone up off the mat, you're doing it too gingerly. Make it look like you're picking the guy up better. And to this day, I still think about that. Whenever I pick someone off the mat, it's like the little canyon of the show. Make sure you pick them up better. So he was noticing little things like that even. And it wasn't just all about the high spots. He was also very fundamentally sound as well. He called me the TMF because uh, he would like give me ideas or whatever. We would talk about ideas and he'd ask for my little input and I would give it to him. And and uh, he would call it tweaking. He goes, man, you are you are a tweaking mother. Because <laughs> <laughs> I would tweak the ideas and then that turned into TMF. You are a tweaking mother. Hey, one of the things, and I'm sure, Chris, you were going to bring this up. But one of the things a lot of people don't know, and, and they love the movie, especially kids who are anywhere from 29 to 35, 40, they love Ready to Rumble. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't know that Chris Canyon was Jimmy King, and actually Shane Helms here was David Arquette, and all <laughs> the shit meant anything. You know, <laughs> you talk about a guy who's going to let, like, take his work ethic to a different level where he gets thrown over the top rope and through the table. And it's Hollywood. So you did it again. And you did it again. And I don't remember where I was, but I wasn't on set at that spot or something. But once it got to the sixth spot, I was like, okay, he's done. Because he wouldn't say no. <laughs> he can do it. And, you know, we all know, going over the top rope, through a table. Once, okay, a lot of people there. Four, five, six times? That sucks. <laughs> Did you guys have a good time working on that movie together, Shane? Yeah, I had a good time with Chris. I actually got fired on that thing one time. And Chris you? got me hired back. Yeah, that's a, that's a story for another day. But <laughs> <laughs> Chris actually is the one that got me that gig. I think he wanted, um, he needed an assistant, and we were going to, Chris was going to be the coordinator for the wrestling scenes. You know, you can't let go of guys go out there and just call it in the ring on a movie. We need to know what's going to happen. Right. Cam- camera's got to be in the right place. Uh, you don't want to miss, you know, a, an actor taking a risk, getting hurt, and the camera not being there. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of uh, detailed involvement that goes on into the pre-production of those wrestling scenes. And so he needed some help. Um, initially, he was going to get Kidman. WCW didn't want Kidman on TV that long. Uh, so then he thought of me because even though we our friendship was pretty new at that time, just talking about wrestling, he, he uh, we had a like-minded, you know, very like-minded in how we thought about wrestling, especially with the creativity, because that was kind of my thing too. It was creating a lot of new moves, and so we had that in common. We had that creativity in common. So he needed an assistant. And that's how I got that gig, and I was just going to go out there for like three or four weeks for the uh, pre-production, and then they needed somebody to. Uh, they realized that. Uh, teaching stuntmen how to wrestle was going to be a lot more difficult. And so right. that's why they cast me as uh, David's uh, stunt double instead of using, I guess, I don't know if he has a regular stunt double or not. I'm not sh- not certain. Um, but that's how I got that gig. And then, like I said, at one point I did get fired. And I was like, because I really didn't want to be out there that long. I wanted to wrestle anyway. So I was like, can I'm going home. And, <laughs> and Chris got me back in. But uh, we had a lot of fun, man. That was, uh, that was so much fun. It, but it was work. You know, we did work a lot. Doing that is how we de- how he developed the Champagne Chris Canyon character coming out of that movie, which he really liked. 
we went on a shopping spree with all the per diem money that they gave us because they would give us money, uh, a daily per diem, <laughs> but then they would feed us on set all day. So just like little cash, you know, would just pile up. And we had, you know, a couple thousand dollars a piece at the end of the shoot, you know. So we went down on um, Hollywood. Nah, what's the uh, Burbank? You know, there's the Hollywood Avenue, and then there's another uh, Melrose. Melrose, exactly. And dude just spent thousands of dollars on nonsensical clothes. <laughs> but they worked for the Champagne Chris Canyon gimmick. It looked like shit The Rock used to wear when he would come out for it. Oh, actually, it looked like some shit Jericho still wears. Just <laughs> 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 that outlandish, you know what I'm saying, Hollywood vibe uh, uh, that he wanted to use for that character. You know, that, and we got to train uh, Dennis Rodman and Randy Savage for their match, you know, which was the only time I got to work with Savage, period. You got a great story about that, about Savage. Oh, and Dennis Rodman hit him with the chair? Yeah, tell that story. <laughs> oh, my God. So we're in this warehouse where they had a ring set up. Paige, I don't know if you ever came out to that one or not. They, they had a ring just in a warehouse in L.A. somewhere. Uh, where we, where we, when we did the, uh, the Malone and Rodman thing, we did that, yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, Savage came out. We had Rodman. We're all in this little warehouse and just going over different things with Rodman and uh, – so we're trying to teach Rodman how to use a steel chair. And, of course, everybody that doesn't know wrestling thinks that there's some kind of trick. No, there's no trick. There's no rubber chair. There's no <laughs> there's no business that makes rubber chairs. This is a steel chair. You know, just try to hit him with this flat side, but you're just going to have to swing it. And uh, this was when Savage was, like, fresh out of Spider-Man. It was around that time. Anyway. He is fucking jacked. This is as big. This is the He-Man version of Randy Savage here. So he does this massive lat spread. He goes, yeah, brother, go ahead, right back there. And then Dennis Rodman swung, and Rodman is strong. Like, his arms are, like, three feet yeah. long. Feet. So, like, his bicep might not look big like Hulk Hogan's, but keep in mind how long it, the bicep is. You know, mm -hmm. he is a powerful human being. He hit him, and it sounded like a thunderbolt went off. It was like, <laughs> boom! And Savage goes, yeah, brother, just like that, and then left. Like, walked around the corner, like, just hopped out of the ring and went around the corner. And me and Chris are looking at each other, like, what the fuck just happened? And we don't know what he did. But in my mind, Savage, you know, he played it cool, walked around the corner and said, God damn! <laughs> oh, man. Uh, DDP, tell us uh, about the Jersey Triad and how that idea came around. You know, um, Bam Bam, and I know Bam Bam since he was 16 at that time. You know, like back in the day, he was legendary from the Jersey Shore. And back then it was when he was 18. And Bam, like literally, when he was in high school, kids just forfeited. Like, didn't <laughs> go there. Like, he had like crazy reputation. And then he started running with the, the Breed, which was a biker gang. So he came in my club, and we know each other. He's, I'm, I was much, he's like six years older than him. And I just come up behind my, my arm, and I go, bam, bam, no trouble in here, right? He goes, oh, come on. Wouldn't do that to you, Paige. And we became buddies. This is before he ever went. It was in the ring. They, and we talked about wrestling. And, you know, then I see him in WCCW, and then he comes into WWF and, you know, big push. And then I don't see him for a long time, of course. And then I see him again. It's like, oh, my God, dude, you hit it. And he saw what I was doing. And then I'm the one who got him in. And uh, I just called Bitch and said, we can get Bam Bam. You know, and he said, well, how much you want to go? I'll talk to him. You know, he's not that expensive, but he's not cheap for sure. Mm. Uh, he came in and they were doing stuff with him. And me and him just started talking. Like, 
you know, let's do something, you know, like maybe let's tag up and maybe bring Chris in and we'll do like the Jersey triad, even though he's from New York, you know, people from New York and New Jersey, they don't really, you know, they know, you know, you're from New York, you're from Jersey, but the rest of the world thinks everybody talks like that in Jersey and New York. And we just had fun with it, man. Like I, my vision was a, you know, 2000, you know, millennial freebirds because everybody goes to a guy who can talk, a big man, and a guy who's going to bump all over the place. And we had that. But all of us could work. Which one were you? And, and together, we just had a lot of fun. <laughs> we were doing a tag team champion thing and different guys taking the belt. And we had a lot of fun. And then, of course, kind of like what happens in wrestling, they kill it and disbanded. And yeah. It happened. You know, we could have easily got to run. And my whole thing is never to be with any group. But for those two guys, I would do it first again to help Chris get a leg up because band members were from the same county. And, uh, you know, we, we, we were friends forever, you know, so. And then when you ended up feuding with them, that's that giant cage bump. Talk about that. That was, that was a very impressive classic moment. That was all Chris. And I think he just wanted to do something that would blow people away. And when me and Jeff are, you know, are working for the belt and the, we got the triple cage and, you know, he came over there and he goes, I got this idea. I want to have awesome come down here and throw me up the top of the cage. I go, dude, we're like 25 feet on the first level. He's like, yeah, but I want to get boxes and blah, blah, blah. And, he showed me how he wanted to do it and put it in that part of the stage and no one will know. I thought, dude, that's really, really risky. And again, he was willing to take the risk for the bump. I'll tell you how much he, he wanted to do it. He did it in a practice spot. Didn't just do it live. Like they put it all together and he took and I'll be damned. The way they had the boxes and the way he hit. I guess he can do that. Hmm. You know, you can also shoot a guy up, give him an elbow, and tell your rotator cuff. <laughs> That's right. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's just the business, right? Right. And I just can't believe he did it with no, nobody there. And later in the night, I fell inside that cage and almost broke my neck. Hmm. Uh, so uh, that was a crazy yeah, but he was getting a good uh, reputation too in in the movies because he did the Jesse Ventura thing. Yeah, right. Working, um, you know, uh, stunt coordinator type scenario and that. Then the Ready to Rumble. Uh, you know, he got a lot of credit for that. So he had a good reputation, especially with dealing with stunts in that sort of regard. So I can please, I I can see him wanting to test. Like I'll show you guys I can do this because I've been doing this for months. Mm-hmm. Type of scenario where you got to go show the film crew. Okay, here's what I'm going to do. And then, you know, we had to go take a bunch of bumps. Uh, you got now film it this time. So, uh, but he was really, he was doing, he's creating a, a separate career for him in that regard. As we start to wind down here, Ralph, how did you hear that Chris had passed away? I was uh, driving in the old neighborhood. I was, I was going to visit my mom. My mom lived two blocks away from uh, where he took his life. And, uh, you know, she, she was battling cancer at that time. So I was spending a lot of time in that neighborhood at, at that moment. I saw Chris about, Two weeks prior uh, to him taking his life, uh, I'm at a bagel shop. Uh, he was down, 
And I remember it was a Saturday morning. He took his life on a Friday night in the same same apartment he grew up with his parents. I mean, he, he had come back home, and he you know, he was. I, I think he was trying to set up a school with Tony Mamaluke at that time, and um, he was trying, but uh, he and it because uh, he was out of the business at that point, right? Yeah, he was out of the business at that point. At that point, he was making appearances on uh, on the Howard Stern show. As part of the Whack Pack, uh, as a Canyon the Gay Wrestler, you know, where he was, uh, he was pretty vocal, uh, against, uh, WWE at the time. Uh, in my opinion, he stressed the truth a little bit about what he was saying, something I shared with him, but I think he was just trying to get attention back to himself. He'd been out of the loop for a couple of years at that time. Hmm. Where do you think, um, he would be right now, Shane, in 2020? I think if he could have, survived all these problems i think he would be in a good place i think the environment today would be a lot gentler for him you know i think he'd been a lot more accepted and i think i mean for everybody just wants to be accepted at the end of the day you know i mean he struggled with a lot of problems and it wasn't just one big one he, he had several there was a lot going against him especially toward the end you know i think he was really disappointed in the way his his career ended and he deserved better he deserves so much better in terms of how many people he helped. You know, he just deserved better from the business. And um, I think he was disappointed in that. And, you know, he, it was just so much the depression thing is such a huge monster. You know, and I think we've seen a lot of that, you know, in this day and age with, with the whole COVID thing. But, you know, back then, you, know, you couldn't even hardly talk about it as much. You know, if you, right. if you had depression, you were just a little bitch. You were just weak. You know, get over it, kid. You know, find something to smile about it. People would just say stupid shit like that. But it, but it was very real for him, you know. And I kind of alluded to it earlier. You know, you'd, I'd have some phone calls with him. And, man, he was the happiest guy on the earth. Like, he just won the lottery. And then you'd have a phone call with him a couple, you know, months later. And even if he had won the lottery, he wasn't going to be happy that day. Because whether it was the depression or, you know, the bipolar, which, you know, that stuff has to be reg regulated by uh, medicine, but when he would take that medicine, that would kind of put him in a funk. He wouldn't have the energy to be the Chris Canyon that we all knew and loved. It was such a torturous yeah. mental battle. And he was just tired of being here, bro. He was just, and he said that to me. He said to me, and I'll never forget it. And it's haunted me to this day because I, you know, I always felt like suicide was a, a selfish thing. You know, you're, you're just you're killing yourself and you're just going to hurt all of these other people around you. And he's like, yeah, but I'm the one in pain. He goes, why do you want me to be in pain? And I didn't know what to say to that. And it's mm -hmm. still to this day, I don't know how to properly reply to that. But he was just, he was anguished. He was tormented. And, you know, man, I just, I don't know what could have made it any better, but I wish he could have survived because I think he would have been thriving right now. I think he'd have been a lot more accepted. He had a brilliant wrestling mind. He was so creative so fun to be around him, man. Yeah. I wish you, I wish you was still here. Yeah. I remember you talking about the depression there and maybe Raph, you can fill us in. Did he not show up at a WrestleMania one year in like a van painted with anti WWE slogans or something and drive around the parking lot or something along those lines? I think it was in Orlando. He did it. I didn't see it, but I, I had heard he was there. And then I, I know he was at a, he appeared at a house show once too, and I believe it's in Tampa, Florida, trying to draw attention to himself while a match was going on. Uh, you know, that was around the same time where I, you know, I mentioned he was uh, appearing on the Howard Stern show. Uh, I think he was just trying to get attention 
and get back into business somehow, some way. And as Shane said, I, you know, it was definitely a place for him if he hung on just a little bit. The independent scene was starting to flourish. I think Chris would have had a, a good run there. I think he, he may have had a chance to even work with us in AEW. He, he, he has a lot of friends there right now. The Matt Hardy's of the world, yourself, or, you know, or working with Paige. I mean, you know, it, it's sad. It's a sad story where the, the culmination of that ending his career, coming out, his injuries, if we just would have hold, held on just a little bit. And, you know, with the way society is right now, he would have had a chance. Uh, to flourish again. Yeah, I, I feel that, that you know, I left the business for a couple of years in 2005 and obviously came back. I think Chris would have done the same. I think he would have done really good, especially with the Ring of Honors, you know, the impact, that sort of thing, to find other places to work other than, than WWE. And trainer, agent, I think he would have made a great producer, coach, agent, whatever you want to call it, because he was very smart putting together his matches. And also, too, he could have still, he could even still be working. Who knows? I mean, he loved wrestling that much like we've been talking about. Do you agree with that, Paige? Where do you think he'd be right now if he was still with us? You know, I think you had a great point, you know, um, from the Ring of Honor today. I mean, there's so many. Let's go pre-COVID. I was blown away. Like, not just in this country. The UK had it yeah. before. Like, I was like, I was in the UK doing a DDPY tour and I was like, holy shit, like they've got, and they're drawing, they're not just drawing 300 people, they're drawing like 1,000, 1,500. What was amazing to me is that, and I was so happy to see it, you know, that regular dudes who used to have to keep the job and work on the weekends were now making a living being a wrestler. And there would have been so much opportunity for Chris if we just could have hung in a little bit longer and then just started to sway on the side of surrounding himself with with people who cared, you know? And that's what, I mean, when I brought Jake Roberts and Scott Hall into my house, it wasn't just me. It was Steve Yu, Dylan Freimeyer, like the list, Nathan Mowry. I had this huge team, Linda Leonard. My daughter, Brittany, I mean, everybody was there to help those guys get their life back. I had a call today from Jake, and he just had a scare because of the breathing thing. He ended up in a hospital for a day. Uh, might have been two, but he was scared, you know, and now he's got the oxygen, and he's good. he turned the corner, and now he's really doing his best to quit smoking. Because, you know, that's the worst thing for him. And my whole feeling was, hey, he's not drinking, doing crack or cocaine. You know, he's going to have a cigarette. I'm not going to bust his balls too bad. <laughs> yeah. Well, but Jake called me just to tell me how much he loved me. You know, and I mean, it just it chokes me up because, like, you have to be sympathetic to whoever this is who's running through this problem. It's like people ask me all the time, hey, please take this person. Please take that person. It's like, I don't do that. I do helping people for a week at a time. The reason I brought Jake in and Scott in, because they were such a huge part of my life and they needed help. Like if he just could have hung in there, I could see Canyon stay in there too. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could see that. And I, I, I can't remember who I sent it to, 
But, you know, when we first opened the DDP Yoga Performance Center, I thought, man, we had Canyon here right now. Like this one room would just be for physical therapy. Right, right. DDPY. And all the boys and then AEW and what we were doing with Cody and you. And, you know, we we filmed. How many many, uh, views does Judas have right now, bro? 43 million. <laughs> 43 million. I mean, my lose count. <laughs> I yep. mean, filmed at your place. I loved you coming in and filming that at our place because that was like just an awesome place for, you know, me and you have been working with each other for years. Yeah. And uh, it's been incredible, you know. And I think Chris would have could have been right in the middle of it. I called it back then. You know, and I'm so glad you're doing this this, this show yeah. for him. People, you know, there's a lot of people, especially because people just don't watch wrestling today because of the network <laughs> and YouTube. They can watch it from all over, mm-hmm. you know, and all the different generations. And he was he was an amazing cat. He's a great friend. I trusted him with everything. And uh, it was a shame, man. It was, it was a shame. Last question, if you have any uh, memories that we haven't spoken about yet, I, I'll start. Chris came over to my house for dinner once when I was living in Clearwater, and I wasn't married yet, but my wife was my girlfriend. And it was actually, he came over to watch the Over the Edge pay-per-view, which was the pay-per-view where Owen passed away. And oh, I, I remember he brought a, a, a cake over. And I was like, would you bring a cake? He's like, well, you come over to someone's house, you're supposed to bring something. I'm like, well, most people bring like a bottle of wine. Or something. He's like, well, it's a cake. <laughs> and just, just like you went to the store and just bought a, like a cake. There was nothing on it. Didn't say how. You, know, just... <laughs> you got anything, Roth, that you want to remember about Chris? Yeah, just a couple of things. I mean, he, he everyone enjoyed being around him. Uh, he was fun either hanging out at the park, at the bar. He was the center of attention. He loved to give laughs. A couple of uh, personal takes. I remember when he first joined WWE that night was in the New York area, uh, he showed up at, at the Meadowlands. It was King of the Ring in 2001. And uh, we were driving home. We, you know, we drove home. I stayed at my mom's house. He stayed at his parents' house. And, you know, we, we just had a good laugh. Like, look at us. You know, uh, uh, we're, you know we're, we're driving old, driving back to the old neighborhood. Remember him at Shea Stadium? Uh, big Met fan. Uh, we had a big charity softball game uh, summer of 2001. Him with his Met uh, hat on and and Jersey saying hi to his parents in the stands, uh, great memories. And yeah, he, he was a great person. He, uh, he loved his family. He loved his brother, Kenny, and he was just a good guy. He was smart. He was so smart. Honor student, uh, from grammar school all the way to high school or Archbishop Malloy in New York. And, uh, and he, he was a student of the game and anything he did. And, and he was very passionate about school, his family, and about this business. What was his real last name? Clusteritis? Clusteritis. Kidman and Disco used to call him Clusteritis. <laughs> <laughs> Paige, you got any final uh, thoughts or memories about, about Canyon? You know, when I really sit back and look at my career, you know, it, it really started when it took off and it was still six months from taking off, but it was the Lord of the Rings and it was supposed to be submission over the top or pinfall. That's what it was supposed to be. And so Chris, you know, he found out that, you know, I told him, I said, you know, they're going to put me over in that. He goes, well, who's going to be in it? And I have no 
an idea. And he goes, so what do you want to do? He goes, you got to get the diamond cutter open, right? Without Chris and I sitting and having beers and talking this out, I said, well, what do you think? You know, we, and we and we just start brainstorming. And it was so, there's nothing I love more than having someone who's like-minded who can brainstorm ideas. Like Steve, you and I, that's why we built this company, because we just we just brainstormed so amazing. That's why I was with Chris. And before you know it, he had laid this thing out where I hit diamond cutters on the last three guys, go to pin him, you know, one, two, three, go to pin him, one, two, three, go to pin him, oh, kick out, series of false finishes, dosey does and, you know, goes over the top rope, and I win. I go, man, that would get the cutter over. Yeah, that's a good idea. So when I finally find out, now, there's only two guys who won this thing at this point, Sting and Dusty. When Sting and Dusty won, you can imagine who was in that mix. <laughs> when it was my turn, <laughs> Barbarian, Ice Train, Johnny, Johnny Grunge, Rocco Rock, Norton. I mean, it was a bunch of mid-card guys, me being one of the middest, bottom mid-card guys. Mm -hmm. And it gets to where I tell Arn to finish. Now, without Canyon really putting this together for me, I don't have it in my head. Like, there's eight guys, one through eight. And he lays the whole thing out like he can see it. And, you know, I'm like, all right, then boom, boom, that. And I got to where I could explain it. So I explained it to Arn. And Arn goes, well, you know it better than I do. You tell the boys. So now I go out there and I tell, and help, thankfully, most of the guys, I got jobs. FOPs. It ends with Barbarian, who we all know is technically maybe one of the baddest men alive. Right. Well, I'm going to tell Barb how I'm going to beat him at the end. And I get to it and I go, you always been super friendly to me. I'm just going to say it. And I go, Barb, you kick out of the diamond cutter. And then we do a couple false finishes and then you go over the top rope. And he says, no, brother. <laughs> I'm going to cut off. He goes, no, brother. It's your time. I take it. I take your finish again. I'm like, oh, Bob. I get tear out of my eye, you know? And it wasn't that match, but it was being able to talk about the diamond cutter and Flair and Sting and everybody who started in this big barrage of, you know, tag teams that ended up there without Chris Canyon and not being able to really, you know, take that next level of how I was promoting, you know, the, the move. I don't know if I have that career. I mean, that's how much of a sticking point that was for me that got me over that little bit of my Chris did that, I know. It was really his finish. Hmm. Hurricane, take it home, baby. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, him hiring me, of course, if he didn't, if he didn't vouch for me for Bischoff, who knows? I'd like to have the confidence to say I still would have made it, but y'all know how this business is. It could easily <laughs> not have happened. But I just remember when we first became friends, you know, uh, I had to go uh, get evaluated at the power plant after I was hired and he let me and Shannon stay at his house and I had this briefcase and um, I'll, I'll make this quick, but I had this briefcase and one day he, uh, he walked in the living room and I just happened to be shutting it while he walked in. That was just coincidental, but it looked suspicious that I shut the briefcase. <laughs> just as he But that was a total coincidence. So then the next time that I was in that briefcase, 
And he walked in. I did it intentionally, but I kind of played it off. So now he's like, what's this kid got in his briefcase? And so he's like, <laughs> so he's starting to, I can tell it's bugging him. And I would do it every time. And, you know, I was there for like a week. And so then it was really bothering. He said, man, what the f- you got in that briefcase? And I was like, man, it's just paperwork. <laughs> like, it's just paperwork. What kind of paperwork are you doing? You know? <laughs> what the f- are you doing over there? You know? <laughs> and, um, and I was like, man, nothing, man. It's just, you know, just my business. And then so finally, like uh, the day we're going to leave, you know, it has bugged him for days what's in this briefcase. And, uh, he, and I go, hey, all right, man, I'll show you what's in there. And I open it up, and it's nothing but f- comic books. And he goes, <laughs> Tremendous. And so then he knew I was a goofball just like he was. And like, that's when we really became friends right there in that moment. <laughs> just making that eye contact, you know, but there's a couple of good stories. Uh, him doing the swan lift uh, from Dirty Dancing with Tony Mamaluke in a karaoke bar at the perfect time where James uh, Vanden Balls was doing that song was one of the biggest pops of my life. I literally <laughs> dropped to my knees. Laughing. <laughs> the tears in my eyes at how funny that was. Uh, me, Canyon, and Balls, we went and rode golf carts one time. And me and Canyon are fighting for the lead the whole time. And there's some kids on this course as well. But uh, me and Canyon are fighting for the lead. Then finally, because we're just being so competitive toward each other, we wreck and have this massive pile up, wipe out all the kids as well. And then Vandenballs just sneaks by and wins at the end. And me and Chris <laughs> are just looking at each other like that's that's the fun stuff. You know? so, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a tribute to a great guy, and I'm glad we got to do this. Um, and like I said, I wish thank he was you. with us today, but I'm glad I got a chance to know him. So thanks, guys. That was, that was a real, real blast. Thanks for doing it, Chris. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thank you.